Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of your Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your Hornets podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us once again for another edition of the HHC. It is draft week, and we are counting down to draft day Thursday when the Hornets will bring in their latest, we assume, first round draft pick. Never can say for sure, after all, as well as a couple other youngsters to join this Hornets franchise that certainly seems to be on the upward trajectory. We heard from Mitch Kupchick, general manager of the Hornets yesterday. Going to let you hear a little bit from him and hear our thoughts on the process as well, what expectations are here in Charlotte and our just general takeaways on what Mitch had to say. To help me out with that, he's my producer on the Hornets Radio Network, Rob Longo here with us. And Rob, the focus, I think, for everyone is, of course, on the number 11 pick. Again, we are presuming for the sake of this discussion that that's where the Hornets will pick course a lot can change but let's just keep it as simple as we can by putting it that way Mitch Kupchak said a lot of things about what he was looking for tended to come back to they want the best available player versus a need-based scenario some draft boards have the Hornets flowing towards say the center position where there is currently not someone under contract who's played more than 10 NBA games at this point in their career so some draft boards seem to go that way Mitch Kupchak for the most part said it is going to be in the battle of need versus best player available best player available will win out we are going to look to take the best available talent okay if there are two players that are definitely equal in talent and skill level and so forth and so on then then maybe we would lean to a big right because like i mentioned you know that is an area that there's more uncertainty but you know we have two other free agents as well right Devontae graham and malik monk and, you know, we're a little short in the backcourt and you could always use another wing also. So uh, we would probably still continue to lean towards the best talent available. But at some point, if it's real close, that there'll be some discussions based on need best player available ensures that you're not going to miss out on an all-star because you're trying to reach and grab something else that you think you need to plug in. And if there is an all-star caliber center available there i have no doubt mitch kupchak and company are going to go get that player but again you don't want to reach for something trying to plug a hole thinking well that's the only missing piece for a championship when the reality is if someone's that good it's not going to matter what position they play they're going to make the difference well the greatest example of that was probably just last season you think about the way that the top three draft picks of the 2020 draft shook out anthony edwards probably what minnesota thought was the best available player and then golden state's sitting there in a two spot and they can't really draft LaMelo Ball to sit behind a guy like Steph Curry. So it just makes sense to go out and get a guy like James Wiseman. So it might not have been best available in their aspect or on their draft boards or for their upward projections since they have this narrowing window of win now and the Hornets were able to snag LaMelo Ball and you know so far so good obviously. So yeah I mean it makes sense to go out and get that best available player because there's just so much flexibility with this Hornets roster right now with pending restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents, of course, you know, that'll be a podcast for a later time when we get towards free agency, but there is a way that you can just go out and get that best player and then go from there. What do our needs in free agency? What do we need to do to re-sign people and so on and so forth? More from Mitch on why best player available is the mantra right now for the Hornets. We're still at that level, you know, where we've got to add talent to this team. 
you know, we played pretty well last year. In fact, I think we got to fourth place, you know, for a week or two or three. I'm not exactly sure how long, but we had a couple of injuries. You know, Gordon went down, Mello went down, and we plummeted, you know, our performance. And to me, that's just because, you know, if we're healthy, you know, we're a pretty good team, but we're not deep enough you know, to be able to sustain an injury or two. And in this league, you have to assume you're going to have an injury or two. So we've just got to add talent, you know, to this team. Again, in full agreement. And I think you look at a team like Atlanta, who last year made significant additions. They did it through both free agency and the draft. By the end of the year, Onyeko Kongwu was a, a contributor in, in the rotation as a, a reliever coming off the bench at that center position. But for the most part, the impact was made through free agency. And so I think, again, best player available, add to this core, add to this young nucleus with whatever you believe to be the best talent there. Now, what type of player might that be at number 11? I'm going to talk later in the podcast about some of the traps I think fans fall into and experts and saying, oh, the the top three are clearly all the all-stars and everyone else has fatal flaws when the reality of the draft history is very different from that. But here's what Mitch had to say about what type of player he expects to find at that number 11 position. Quite frankly, you're probably going to end up with somebody who's 18 or 19. There is a player or two, you know, that are four-year guys that would be considered at 11. But most of the time at 11, you're going to get somebody very young. So that player, we'd like, if it is a young player, to be a talented player with great character that would fit into what we're trying to build here in Charlotte. I think that's the best way of answering the question without answering the question. He's not going to give an actual name. That would be foolish for anyone to try and do unless you are picking first overall and are holding the uniform up behind you at that point in time. But he kind of gave the trend of the draft today, and that is it's a very young player motivated across most of the league. You're trying to get the best talent and project what they're going to look like. If you can get someone who's like a LaMelo Ball, a savant who can help you right away, that's great. But for the most part, everyone in the first round is extremely young, or most of them in the first round are extremely young and are going to require some time to reach their peaks. You're going to see that all the way almost through the entire first round these days, just with the one-and-done era and players going to Europe and so on and so forth. So yeah, and you might get a draft pick at 11 that we see, and we might not hear from them a whole lot for another year or two. I mean, especially you don't know how hampered these guys are from the fallout of COVID-19 with having some, you know, postponements, not getting a lot of film. And that's another thing that Mitch Kupchak touched on in his press conference yesterday was none of the scouting for the most part this season was done in person. The only time they've seen these guys in person is during these pre-draft workouts. Everything else has been over video. They haven't been able to travel or anything like that. He did touch on the Lamella Ball situation from last year where luckily Mitch himself was able to fly down to Australia and catch a game before COVID put everything on pause in March of last year. And then he was able to fly out and do a private workout in Los Angeles to see Lamella Ball before taking him with the number three pick. So it's just one of those other things that you got to keep in the back of your mind where, yeah, there's kind of like the clear cut one and two in the draft, but you don't really know where everybody else is going to fall because you don't know how these teams are evaluating talent over a video screen like we've had to do everything for the last year or so pretty much. Draft will be on Thursday. We'll see who that actual name is. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast expecting me to throw out a name or Rob to throw out a name, that's that's not really what we are trying to do here, what we are tasked with doing here. There's plenty of other podcasts out there trying to make their projections and do their draft boards and more power to them. But that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to give it the info 
information from Mitch's mouth and give you our interpretation on what to expect. There is a narrative, though, I would like to address in our next segment about the draft. And this is something that is recurring year after year where, you know, it's in different sports as well, where there's this top tier, these top guys who are can't miss. They're going to be Hall of Famers. They're going to be the best ever. And then at some point there's a drop off and there are little to no expectations of that person to do much other than maybe make a rotation. This year, this draft is seen as much, much bigger. So that group of players that is expected to become elite is larger. But even there, there there is a drop off at a certain point and people, again, drop their expectations. I think that is a huge mistake and we'll tell you why. I think the evidence backs me up. That's coming up next here on the Hornets Hivecast. Be sure to check out the Hornets Fan Shop at Spectrum Center. Now open Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Check out all the newest Hornets gear or grab a new pair of J's. It's an easy trip on the light rail. Or you can shop from the comfort of your own home 24-7 at HornetsFanshop.com. Sam Farber and Rob Longo back here with you on the HHC. We're getting ready for draft day on Thursday. Should be a lot of fun. Make sure you're monitoring the draft wherever you normally would, but also on Hornets.com and Hornets social media will have all the latest for you there. Rob, talking into the last break about how I believe there's a real misconception about the draft and has been for a long time. I think people going into a draft look at the prospects and for the right reasons say, okay, the number one guy is probably the the Hall of Famer. Maybe there's a couple more after that. Then come the All-Stars and then come all players with fatal flaws that might amount to something in the NBA. Or at least that's the narrative that I think we get when the reality is many, if not most of these drafts are much, much deeper than we're led on to believe. And the player who could turn out to be the all-star could come pretty far deep, especially today, because unlike a couple of generations ago, when most players came out after several years, if not four full years of college, you've got guys coming out trying to capitalize on their potential seeing that the NBA is willing to pay them for it, not making them quote-unquote prove it at the collegiate level or overseas first, some of them with very little tape and very little resume are able to go based off their projection and become a first-round pick. And I'm not blaming them for it. They should go ahead and do that. But I do think it makes it more difficult to project which ones will be the All-Stars. I crunched the numbers, went all the way back... 40-some years of drafts to 1981. And then I I took it from 1981 to 2017. Because you got to give players a little bit of time to establish whether or not you're an all-star, whether or not you're whatever it is. From 1981 to 2017, there were on average at least six all-stars drafted each season. Since 2004, when there were 30 teams put into the NBA, Charlotte becoming the 30th, there have been five all-stars per draft season. In Almost every single year, there is an all-star drafted after 11. In most cases, well after 11. It's only happened three times that there wasn't one drafted after 11. 1994, there were five all-stars from that draft. The lowest pick was uh, number 10, Eddie Jones. 1997, that was the Tim Duncan, Tracy McGrady draft, which believe it or not, you could argue it was not a very good draft. There were only three all-stars overall in that one. McGrady picked number nine. And then 2010, only four all-stars so far from that one, I suppose you could say. And Paul George pick number 10 was the one with the worst pick, I guess, from that draft. So suffice it to say, this narrative that, oh, you can only win if you're picking in the top three, you have to tank, you have to obey the process, whatever it is, is not true. The 
draft bears it out, there will be an all-star picked. I'm, I'm willing to, to go out there on a limb and say there will be an, all, an all-star eventually from this draft who is picked after the 10th overall pick. And there's no reason to think Mitch Kupchak, with his track record, isn't the man to find. If you just take a look at even the past couple of years, you don't even have to say only an all-star. You can say the MVP of the league, Nikola Jokic, was a second-round pick. 41st overall. Giannis Antetokounmpo, what, 15? 15. 15, now an NBA champion. So there's talent up and down this draft, and just talking about those two guys alone, international players. I mean, the game has grown so globally, and I think you've seen that over the past week or so, if you've been watching any of the Olympics coverage about the competition level. I mean, you look at teams like France national team, we won't get into details of that, obviously, but Australia, Spain, there's so many other countries that have all of this talent, and you see a couple of those players in this year's draft as well. We won't get into specifics, but they're in there, and they're projected to go outside of the top 10. There's a lot of talent in these other leagues that Turkish League, the league in Spain, there's just all of these other leagues, the NBL, of course, with LaMelo last year. I mean, I could go on and on. And even if you hone in on that number 11 spot, there's plenty of talent to be taken there. I mean, Damana Sabonis was an 11th overall pick. Miles Turner was an 11th overall pick. Pretty much everybody on the Indiana Pacers right now was an 11th overall pick. Doug McDermott, which, you know, we would like to forget his name right now after the way the last season ended. But yeah, I mean, there is tons of talent outside of the top 10. You don't have to be in the top five of the lottery every year to get a quality player. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the point stands up that you know we can project what we think someone will be that is the point of the draft but the fact of the matter is you're trying to guess what someone will look like what their career will look like when they're 25 29 32 years old based off a snapshot of when they're 19 and if you just take you know the their class rankings if you go back to from this class the draft class now three years ago where they were slotted when they were high school sophomores getting ready to pick colleges it's wildly different in some cases some players are still where they were but others have had massive growth spurts others have leveled off in their performance so I think it's really honestly unfair to try and say hey here's where you were rated when you were 16 and therefore if you don't reach that by the time you're 24 you were a failure or you're this high-flying prospect and people develop at different levels but but that's what the draft is. It is a snapshot of where these players are and that balance of who can help immediately versus who can help long term. That's part of what goes into the math as a general manager trying to figure out the next step for this particular franchise. I mean, even if you think about the way that the draft has progressed over the last couple of decades, I mean, if you go back to the 80s when you were starting to do your research, I don't know if you crunch these numbers, but you have any idea what the average age of the draft draft player was? It had to be in the 20s, I would imagine. I mean, Most of them because was 21, guys, 22 years old. They're staying for three or four years. I mean, back then, if the only way you were going to leave is if it was like you were a guaranteed top overall pick. I mean, you were not going to come out for anything less. You were going to stay here four years and go. Now it's, okay, which school am I going to go to that's going to give me the most playing time or what's my best path for one year so then I can go into the draft now those things might change with name image likeness stuff coming into play but again another podcast for another time but yeah so I mean you're pretty much right now it's a projection of if you're looking at it as a general manager standpoint the thought process is what tools does this kid have you're not really going off of what did this kid do in college? What did this kid do for one year? And that just makes, I think, the general manager's jobs that much tougher. And to reiterate something that Mitch touched upon, as a team that did not make the playoffs last year, the importance is to find more talent to make it so they can absorb injuries, to make it so that there's more space between them and other people if and when injuries do happen. Those kinds of things. And that means going out and getting the best player 
player that you can, not someone who plugs a specific skill set or a specific position per se. You're not trying to get away from those spots, but you find the best player, you add to this talent pool, and keep the team going. Other things that Mitch Kupchak talked about in terms of how things are looking here in Charlotte, both with the lead up to the draft and just the team itself preparing for next season. We'll hear a little bit more from Mitch and talk about those items next here on the Hornets Hivecast. Hornets fans, the buzz is building. For season ticket packages for the 2021-2022 season, call 704-HORNETS or visit hornets.com to chat live with a season ticket representative. Lock in your price today. Third and final segment of this edition of the HHC. Sam Farber, Rob Longo here with you. A reminder coming up late this week slash early next week. We'll be introducing you to the newest members of the Hornets franchise and Hornets family. Should be a lot of fun. Obviously, we're all looking forward to seeing what the draft brings in for the Hornets. But uh, there were some other items that Mitch Kupchak, general manager for the team, touched upon yesterday in his media availability that I thought were worth mentioning one was expectations and he seemed to signal didn't seem to he did signal that there is going to be a big difference in terms of the expectations of the franchise this season as opposed to previous ones well i think naturally the bar has been risen you know i think expectations are probably more this year coming up than they were last year so just in that regard it's important right people expect more uh, we expect more. I think our coaches, our players expect more. So, yes, we've got to keep it going. We've got a lot of flexibility with our cap. And, you know, we've got three picks, although two of the picks are in the late 50s. Moving forward and continuing to improve will be, and hopefully, quite frankly, to, you know, contend, you know, for a playoff spot this year. I uh, can't say I've said that in the last year, but based on how we played last year, I would hope that. We do continue to improve, and we're in the hunt. Rob, there was always a hope that the team would make the playoffs and a want to, but it wasn't an expectation the way Mitch Kupchak laid out. I think rightfully things have changed going into next year. This young nucleus has had the chance to develop a little bit and gel, and now it's time to you know take the next step along that progression. I like that he pointed out that it's not just the draft, that this team is in a very good spot when it comes to free agency. Importance there is not just to throw a lot of money at whomever it is, but to be selective, as Mitch Kupchak has been in this front office has been, but this team's in a good spot and they're looking to make that next progression. And again, I think it goes back to when we talked about the first segment, you know, what what is the mindset and Mitch has been adamant, he's always been adamant about being best player available. He's not going to try to fit a square peg in a round hole for a lack of a better term. It's all about who's available and I think that just kind of iterates it. I mean, you know, you always want to have some sort of groundwork expectations. You don't want to set the bar too low. You don't want to set it too high. Obviously, it's great to have these high expectations but coming into last season after a COVID shortened season, having another shortened season coming up this season, that being 2020, 2021, you know, you don't know where the team is going to be. You don't know how Gordon Hayward being a new free agent is going to mesh outside of playing with Terry Rozier, who he played with in Boston. You don't know how good LaMelo Ball was going to be. We, you know, we had high aspirations and they ended up being rookie of the year. I mean, obviously the injuries you can't really project for. You can't imagine, you know, having almost three or four starters out at certain time periods of the season just based on what happened. You don't know any of this stuff is going to happen. So it's not fair to set those expectations. But now that you have this baseline season, even though it was only ended up being 73 games, it lays the groundwork for being just knowing what is expected of this team, what this team can reach, and then what pieces you need to get it to that next step. 
Another comment he had that I thought was significant, talking about how many of the active players are actively here in Charlotte. I've got to say that, you know, our gym has been just full of activity, you know, for the last six to eight weeks. Our coach has done a great job, you know, setting up times, you know, for players to come in, you know, starting with treatment training room, migrating to the weight room, then going up stairs and getting shots in Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, they have fun, they scrimmage. Unlike any gym that I've been around in a long, long time, the players like living in Charlotte, you know, they're staying here and they're coming in every day to work out, even on a Friday, which we call a flex day, you know, which a player might want to get away for a weekend. A lot of these guys are still coming in on Friday. Rob, I just think that's so huge. It shows the level of commitment this team has towards improving and reaching its goals, expectations, aspirations in the season to come. Just an overall good sign. I give a lot of credit to James Brago for that. I think a lot of that starts from the ground of buying into a system, creating that chemistry in the locker room, creating that camaraderie that wasn't really there this past season. I mean, you know, there were times where if the players had to go on the road, they were very socially distant from one another outside of practice. You were not sitting next to somebody in the locker room. You weren't going out and having a team meal. So I think a lot of that stuff was missed last season. I think the players noticed that and it's just an added layer to trying to be better, trying to understand what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are on the court, trying to create that chemistry. I mean, there were a couple of times last year where, you know, LaMelo Ball is such a wizard with the basketball and his hands where, you know, there were times where he would maybe dump the ball into the post and Cody Zeller or Bismarck Biombo just weren't quite expecting that or a kick out and, you know, Terry Rozier was zigging when he should have zagged on the wing. Stuff like that. Little little things like that where, you know, they create one or two turnovers into a game. You get rid of those turnovers, you hit a three, three points here or there. I mean, that could be a difference in an entire ball game. Just little minor things like that add up over time to create whatever the result is at the end of the season. Well, the team is going to have the benefit of a offseason that's had a lot more interaction than the last one. That's safe to say for sure. We're looking forward to draft day. It's on Thursday. Again, keep an eye on Hornets.com and all the Hornets social media sites to keep yourself up to date with the latest on the team. And of course, we will have our post-draft podcast series getting to know, getting to meet the newest members of the franchise. That's going to do it for this edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Thanks to Rob Longo and to all of you for tuning in. For everyone here, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you with us, and we'll talk to you next time here on the Hornets Hivecast. Thanks for listening to the Hornets Hivecast. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.